Um, and I think people get to choose how they want to play games. And if they if they don't like it, don't play the game. There's enough great games out there. Welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic and the friends joining us today are Jan Ratz Freeman. Um, oh, sorry, Friedman. I didn't pronounce the founder and CEO at Super Social, David Amor, recently back from a retreat and so looking very tanned, CEO at Playment, Thank and you. Aaron Bush, co-founder of Navic, or should I say, A Money, your uh, player tag. Yeah, my gamer tag, A Money. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, it came to light yesterday. We were, do, you, do you want us to call you like uh, that? You, you don't have to. It, it's probably been my like most go-to nickname in the past, which is why I made it my my gamer tag. So I don't hate it. I like it. But uh, yeah, it came about yesterday when we were sharing our our Apex Legends mobile um, tags to, to play with each other. And yeah, it, yeah, everyone clung to that <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> um, awesome. David, what's your gamer tag? Oh, uh, it's been a number of things over the years. Sometimes Zaliga, sometimes Pog. Used to be a long time ago. I don't know. I jump around a bit. Nothing's too consistent. Wow, that's a huge insight. I've had the same <laughs> gamer tag since I'm a kid. So, yeah, some personality going on there. Um, Jan. <laughs> What what is your gamer tag? Well, my my Roblox username is Lord Yoners. Uh, it's a play on a nickname my wife has for me, and then I'm building a whole new identity on Web three gaming, which I'm calling Yoda Khan, which is a combination of Yoda and Genghis Khan. Wow. Okay. Why? why I go what, I go why, heavy. Why Genghis Khan? What, what I've, I've always been I've always been enamored by, um, you know, Genghis Khan historically is considered one of the most ruthless, uh, you know, uh, uh, warriors and leaders. Um, and so, you know, I think what enamored me about Genghis Khan is his ability over many years to connect and bring together so many different uh, cultures and, and people in creating the, the Mongol Empire. And that has always been an unbelievable accomplishment where, you know, we live in a world that is so isolated and here he was, you know, several millennia ago creating a collaborative, inclusive society of very disparate tribes and populations. And I, I think it's pretty incredible. So that's why. Hey, you know, one observation, I think you put more thought into your game tag than Aaron did into his. Yeah, that is true. I, I maybe I need to come up with something new. Yodacon, I like it. Why? Uh, why? Oh, another question, Yon. Why are you speaking from the jungle? Well, I'm in my backyard. I had a little crisis in my office just before our podcast started, and so I had to migrate like a little bird outside. Uh, better to hear the birds than to hear the baby. I think for the podcast right. uh, listeners. Right. So here I am. Taking a break from the metaverse. Nice, nice setting. Yeah. Uh, what's your gamer tag, Maria? Uh, my my gamer tag is Fuzzyland. Fuzzyland, <laughs> that's excellent. 
<laughs> well, yes. where did that come from? I don't have a good story. Well, I'm <laughs> a warm person. So whenever you're hanging out with me, it's like being in this land of fuzzy bits. Beautiful. Got, got it. it. Very good. Love it. What do we got today, Maria? <laughs> um, what we have today? Oh, just before we start with the um, with the topics, I'm just really excited and I need to do a shout out. I usually don't do this, but I have to do this for Oxalis Games. They raised 4.5 million. They're UK based. They're building a Web3 RPG called Moonfrost. So if you imagine Stardew Valley meets Breath of the Wilds meets a bit Animal Crossing, um, check out the project. It's amazing. They promised me there's going to be a red panda um, that you can have in your house. So looking forward to that. I had the opportunity to meet the art director, Gina Nelson, in a talk. So yeah, I'm just super, super pumped. They're very passionate about what they're doing. So I wanted to do a shout out. Congratulations. Really happy for them. Very cool. Oh, I was expecting like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. They got the money. Now they, now they get to get work done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Jan, anything new at Super Social that you can share with us? Yeah. Thanks for asking. There's, you know, we're, we're really hands hands down on, on keeping um, our incredible work on the Roblox platform. We have, a really special brand world that we're building uh, with an incredibly innovative brand that is going to go live in July. So I'm excited to share more about that. And then we recently and kind of softly announced uh, a new project, our first Web3 project called NFTV, which uh, is essentially going to be this really unique um, game station uh, on Web3. Um, you can think of it as almost like um, sort of Nintendo meets MTV meets Netflix on Web3 around gaming. So that's all I'm going to say. And, you know, stay tuned for more. Hey, actually, I'm going to do a, fun. I'm going to do a, a shout out as well. Uh, we've released our game, The Crypt, earlier this year. We're announcing details of our second game next week. Uh, you can find out about that at, uh, on Twitter, at The Crypt Game. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking more about that. Wow. Okay, lots of exciting <laughs> projects going on. Um, I'm trying to wrap my brain around MTV station. Looking forward to knowing more, Jan. And um, yeah, David, yeah. is this the, the is this like the political game? Yes, that's the game. The next thing that we're working on. So um, yeah, happy to start talking about that. You're sharing more. It's next week. Yeah. You said. Yeah, on Monday. Oh, I'm so pumped. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you okay. Maria. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, all right. Well, Jan, who is currently in the jungle, has the first topic. Um, <laughs> Jan, do you, do you have your notes? Yes. So, um, you know, I think that what um, I've always been incredibly inspired by and actually amazed by what Riot Games have done over the years with how they've built the franchise of League of Legends. And, you know, recently, I think they've announced uh, Riot Forge, which is inviting more developers to sort of build on top of their IP and build new game world, new game experiences um, um, that relates to the core Riot IP. Um, and so, and alongside that, 
um, I've been very curious to see how Axie Infinity in a whole different realm, you know, Web3 gaming, play to earn. I've been kind of very curious to see how they're going to go beyond the core play to earn demographics and audience in emerging markets that really propelled Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis into what it became, which is a, you know, multi-billion dollar um, um, sort of enterprise, at least privately valued by investors. And so the topic I wanted to talk about today is the recent announcement from Sky Mavis of the first batch of games built as part of their builders program, which is essentially, in my mind, kind of a play, a similar play like the Riot Forge, which is essentially inviting developers to build within not only the Ronin blockchain, but within the Axie Infinity sort of IP world. And what really captured my attention, and I think they just announced it this week out of thousands of applicants that have applied to the Builders program, I think there's like 2,000 submissions. I think 12 projects got greenlighted by the Sky Mavis team to basically launch the first 10, 12 games that are built as part of the Builders program on the Axie Infinity uh, world of IP. Um, And so the reason I wanted to propose that as a discussion is because I think it's really interesting, and I'm really curious to see how um, Axie Infinity are going to use that program and inviting co-creators to build new games on their IP world, on the Axie Infinity platform, quote-unquote, and to see if that's really expanding the audience that is playing in the Axie Infinity world today, which, as we know, is very specific you know, 60 or 70 or maybe even more percent of Axie Infinity daily users actually come from places like Indonesia and Thailand and Philippines, really emerging economies. Um, And I'm curious to see if these builders program is going to help Axie Infinity to not only attract more game developers who build on the IP world, but also attract new type of audiences who I believe are going to really need to play an instrumental role in kind of expanding the type of business that Axie Infinity is building versus continuing to be very limited um, exposure to that play-to-earn user base that come from emerging economies. And so that's my topic. That's kind of the highlights of the announcement that they've made. And you know, I'd love to open up to a roundtable with, with everyone here. Do the, uh, these games that live in the uh, Axie universe, do they share the same tokens? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen anything announced or mentioned about the token, so I don't know how to answer that. Um, but, you know, I do think they do. Okay, great. So um, they do, yeah. So not so just that token, not the, the potion one, which is more associated specifically with Axie Infinity. No. But I think that's pretty they interesting. They made a change from what I read... So I read their announcement and they made a change where before, if you were in the builder program, I think you had to help burn SLP, but they removed that to make it more accessible because the program, so my understanding, so the only an Axie is your ticket to enter these experiences. So you still have to acquire an Axie at least to, to play these. And there's a builder program, but there's a, a creator program. So if you're welcomed into the builders, you get additional benefits. And I believe you can also 
if approved by Sky Mavis, even sell NFTs and tokens. Um, so there's a more there's a wider breadth of experiences that you can build. But anyone, as long as you follow their guidelines, can build an experience that uses the the IP and the axes, and they could be completely monetization free. They, it could just be something that players can go in and experience. Correct. Yeah, I think that's a great. Yeah. And then they have like this whole. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great highlight, Maria. I think that's a great call out in addition to the to the point, which is the builders program is exclusive in a sense that it gives you those additional benefits to be part of this lecture, like exclusive club of creators who build on on Axie's um, IP. But as 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 Maria mentioned, any creator can build within the world of IP of Axie Infinity um, as long as you you know succumb to their guidelines. Uh, but you wouldn't get those sort of extra access that the builders program get, which um, alongside uh, the benefits Maria mentioned is you know, access to the Axie Infinity team and really working much closer with those developers on, on their games, probably promotional activity and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I do have a take on this. I think in theory, I agree that leaning more into UGC is good for Axie Infinity's quest to move beyond play to earn and attract players who are really net spenders in the ecosystem and there for fun. When we wrote our initial Axie Infinity deconstruction, which by the way, part two just published in Novic Pro, uh, which was led by Lars Doucette, and he did a really great job. And we'll, we'll actually publish this one publicly too in a couple of weeks. So everyone can look forward to that. But when we wrote the original decon our take was that you know not only is the base economic system broken in axie infinity but the way out is through ugc which is likely increasingly tied into land over time too which you know that the details around that are still very much up in the air Um, but in practice though (laughs) i think i'm much more critical of what we've seen so far with this program with the obvious caveat that it's just the beginning and a lot can still change. So for one, Sky Mavis is throwing tiny amounts of money at the the UGC effort so far. When the Builders program launched, it dedicated 5,000 AXS tokens, which was about $400,000 when the program was announced. And you know that that's not going to get you very far. But second, that $400,000 in AXS is now only worth about $100,000, which you know, it's really like the cost of one game developer, you know, salary wise. And it's not just that AXS is worth less, but it puts the volatility risk on developers who earn a- that that AXS at certain milestones and are receiving less value than they probably originally planned for. Um, and then also the revenue share program. And I'm not sure if any of you have looked at this, but it's pretty convoluted it's pretty convoluted and it's pretty unfriendly um, in some ways. And so the two main variables of the program are one, how much monthly revenue in AXS the game makes. And then second, um, how that revenue gets split between going back to players, going to the treasury, and then going to the developer. And if you look at the numbers, um, a couple of things pop out. Um, One, the more money the game makes, the lower percentage of it actually goes back to the developer, which seems backwards. And then second, the system incentivizes um, putting money back to players in game more so than developers earning outsized amounts. So if your $1 million per month 
revenue um, game gives 0% or 50% of the revenue back to players, the developer still only makes a flat 25% of whatever that is. And the treasury keeps the difference. And so, you know, I understand why Sky Mavis wants to incentivize developers to reward players, but it's not super developer friendly and doing so is actually less of a step away from play to earn than it initially looks when when you're incentivizing players getting ways to earn AXS. And then uh, the last thing I'll say um, is that if you look at the list of initial games, it at least in my opinion, it doesn't look super inspiring. Obviously, having a long tail of content and new experiences has value. But if you look at any content platform, customer acquisition is still driven by more of the tentpole titles. And I'm skeptical that any of these, you know, low, bu- low budget match three or tower defense or racing games are really going to move the needle too much in terms of like really shifting the Axie infinity audience towards, you know, just a much bigger audience that's there not for play to earn. And if you layer anything land related on top of that, which we know over time that land is going to be a place where a lot of these experiences are hosted and we'll have all sorts of dynamics. It's, I think the future of that is pretty foggy at best. So I had, yeah, so I admire the steps they're taking with UGC. Like it's important that they do that. Um, but how they've executed on it so far, I don't think it's going to cut it and they need to do a lot more. Hmm. I would agree. You go ahead. I believe they, inc- I was just going to say, I believe they increased the 10,000 AXS in the new yeah, guidelines. It's still tiny though. It, it's sort of hobbyist numbers so i agree with aaron that in in principle the idea of having more games that are coming out for a community that wants a lot more um uh, sky mavis content than can be created more axi content then engaging with the community and incentivizing the community and integrating with the token seems like a good idea just i agree with aaron that the numbers seem a bit wrong yeah and my hope is that they use this as like a first step where they can work with and learn from the initial developers to figure out how to tweak their policies or, you know, change the revenue share practices to, you know, move more towards a place where if they put a hundred X the money to work, that it would have higher rewards and value for the ecosystem. So maybe that's what they're thinking. I have no idea, but yeah, so far, not, not super excited about what I see. What's also interesting, I would add, I think I would add also that what's interesting is alongside that announcement, they also announced that they're going to, they're working with other more capable, bigger game studios on other titles. And so that also makes me wonder then what is all the purpose of these builders program, right? Is it maybe like more about PR or something or, so I'm just trying to, I think what you're raising, Aaron, is also to me more like, what is really the intention behind this builders program? Is it kind of just to be, just to try and encourage and nurture some form of a community engagement and that build mods and and use UGC content? Because obviously the the incentivize the incentivization system, financially speaking, is is minuscule, um, um, you know, at, at at best and basically relevant at, at worst. Uh, and so I think that's also TBD on what is the bigger play that. Axie has in really bringing new type of audiences into their ecosystem. 
Yeah, I think at a high level, it makes sense. And the, you know, just thinking about they want to eventually become a platform, not just a game. And so if you pair, you know, platform ambitions for within Axie Infinity plus, you know, Mavis Hub plus the Ronin blockchain, like you can see kind of how it all comes together over time and what that long term play, at least in theory, is. But yeah, I hope that they can, um, I hope they figure it out though, because it would be, a really exciting new model to learn from. And I think that, I mean, UGC in general, like it's obviously like a buzzword and it's, you know, like a major trend that's going on, but seeing it applied more into like a popular, like early web three game context um, and seeing it actually flourish would be really cool. Cause not only would it be cool for that ecosystem, but I think it would um, provide learnings for other teams who kind of want to do similar things in their own in their own worlds to learn from too. And so, yeah, would love to see, love to see things turn around there. You, you all raise really good points. I can't help but be excited still for the opportunity and even the way that they've allowed anyone, as long as you follow very loose IP guidelines, anyone can create an experience for fun and I, I keep thinking about who's the target audience for these builder programs. Is it people looking to make a living from creating these UGC experiences? Or is it people passionate about Axie Infinity? Or if you don't have experience or you can't bootstrap your first experience in building a game studio, you can apply and potentially, you know, you get access to product managers and game designers and you can learn by building something with an experienced team at Sky Mavis um, or even creating like that mech uh, Axie game. And like cute Axies controlling mechs to do battles. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm excited for that. And... <laughs> I also find it interesting that they might potentially be taking a, a cautious first step by, you know, they're not taking a cut of the revenue. They're being um, very open about wanting to bring back the the rev well the revenue generated back into the treasury so that it can be used by all players. I agree, maybe too cautious. It just feels in step with their values in terms of building the decentralization and more of a, a DAO governance community where everyone gets the benefits. It doesn't take away from your really good points though. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it shaped things up in a different approach, then I support that. Uh, be interesting to see the results of it. Are you, on, are you gonna be building anything in this? Uh, is that an environment that interests you? No, we we are taking um, an an approach of at least with with our new project NFTV. We're kind of looking to build a, a tiny ecosystem of our own. I think the landscape is so open at the moment. You know, it's not like you have in quote unquote Web two these juggernauts like Roblox and you know, the Epic ecosystem. I think on Web3 at the moment, it's all very much up for grabs in terms of the opportunity because the landscape is so nascent. I mean, what are we talking about? Like a, a couple dozen million at best of people who are who have active wallets in, in Web3. 
I mean, the rest of the world still need to come to Web3 and it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it doesn't make sense in my mind at the moment strategically as a business, as a company, as a venture-backed company to build on other people's platforms when at the moment it's all so nascent. Right, right. But I think if you're an individual developer and you have opportunities today, you probably want to consider where do I go? Do I build on Fortnite creative mode? Do I build on Roblox? Do I build on Core? Do I build on Axe Infinity ecosystem? Do I build on Riot Forge? I mean, for game developers, the wider landscape, Web 2, Web 3, is so phenomenal that as an individual creator, if you're a 16-year-old in your bedroom and you want to build games, I mean, there's just so many places you can build. Um, and I, I think Axie as an ecosystem is, I, I, I believe they're going to be at a very tough spot in attracting the best indie developers um, until they can reach a certain scale. And ultimately, people are going to go where the best content is, right? And so if Axie can, can attract amazing developers who build amazing games on their ecosystem, they're going to be successful. Um, but, you know, uh, users are voting with their, with their feet and they're going to go where the most fun experiences are. Um, and I think that's going to be more important in my mind than the economic breakdown because, you know, smart people want to fish where the fish are. And you want to go where the users are. And that's why, again, I go back to who is the ecosystem of users of Axie. If it's still primarily emerging economies play to earn users, I, I don't think that's going to be majority of the world of users. I, 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 that's pretty much a safe assessment in my mind to make for the long term. And those users are the less- plummeting. Too, I'll just quickly add, like Axie Infinities, their like daily active user count has fallen like seventy percent, maybe more from its from its highs. And so, yeah, you can't bank on play to earn users because they're not playing to earn nearly as well as they they did a few months ago. So, yeah, they're kind of in a tough spot. But I, yeah, they have a lot of funding, they have a lot of backing, a lot of smart people. So hopefully, they can figure out how to maneuver their way towards something bigger from here. I, I hope they'll have more people who play to earn and play to, to have fun than people who play to exit, yeah. <laughs> right? And I think that's what we're seeing now. There's like a lot of play to exit. <laughs> I like that new term. The last thought on my mind on this topic is what, how will it impact the price of axes and the acquisition of them? And also, if I'm building, if they're an entry ticket into these experiences, it sounds that I'll be, it will be out of my control, the entry barrier into my game. Because if for some reason the cost of an Axie skyrockets, I don't know, it goes to 3,000 pounds or something, that means that playing my experience that I created is now blocked by, by that value. Does anyone else have any takes on this topic or should we carry on? <laughs> well, I would, I, would, I, would just, I would just add to your comment, Maria, that a, 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 as a rule of thumb in my mind, until digital assets like Axis get to a price point where it becomes absolutely no-brainer for people to get in, it's going to stay niche. Like majority of the world... Of, of gamers and users are just not going to come in when axes are several hundred dollars each or mm-hmm. even, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars. 
I think ultimately these type of assets for majority of people to come in as an entry point, maybe later they want to invest further, but mm. they got to get to a five, 10 bucks each, you know, so people can be like, yeah, no brainer for me to get in. I just mm. don't buy the use case where majority of the world in general is going to enter Web3 by purchasing $2,000 NFTs or $1,000 axes. I just don't see that happens. I think it's madness to believe that that's going to happen. Um, and for a subset of users, yes, but we're probably talking about a promille percent of the total addressable user base who can come into Web3 in the next decade. Yeah. Well, the floor mm-hmm. prices are last I looked around like $30. So they're getting closer to that, that price point. Um, but I mean, I think my guess is uh, with Axie Origin coming out, which will enable like free non-NFT axes to be part of like the onboarding experience that perhaps those can also be used to as like an access ticket to get into more UGC experiences. It, it mm-hmm. might just mean that like you won't be earning... Mm-hmm. AXS from those experiences in the same way that if you had like the actual NFT axes. But I think a lot of these details are still still coming together. But in general, like there still is no good sync for axes too. And so even if we see demand rise, like it, I don't think anyone's really betting on like the price of axes to be a good investment from here. So yeah, I think it'll continue to get more accessible, at least like free to start. Yeah, you know, so we'll see. Maybe I should buy one now while it's cheap so I can drive my little mech and be powerful whilst being fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let us know how that goes. Okay, we'll move on to the topic. (laughs) Yeah, or I might be crying. Um, All right, my my topic I prepared for today is that um, to fully upgrade a character in Diablo Immortal, it could cost... Five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars, and I went into a rabbit hole yesterday. So I will try to um, distill everything that I learned into explaining why, um, very succinctly. I just want to highlight that I will be giving a bit of a negative feedback on this monetization mechanic and will be a little bit critical, but I just want to congratulate the team. Like it's a super fun game. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. It's easy to look out from the outside in and critique something. So yeah, big respect for everyone who who worked on the game. So the problem Maria, you're just too too nice, Maria. Just Why? just lay into it. Go ahead. No, I think I have big respect. Like, it takes a lot to develop a good game, and I want to respect that. <laughs> okay. So you need to max your level, your equipment, and a thing called legendary gems in order to max your character. And the legendary gems is where the problem lies. So you need to earn these gems through doing Elder Rifts, which basically is like this dungeon and you need to survive hordes hordes of enemies. And you can only earn legendary gems if you fuse the rift, you infuse the rift with crests and you have rare and legendary crests. And then you have different kinds of gems with star ratings from, you have one star, two star, five star, but then within the five star, you have partial star. So you could get like a two out of five star, you could get a three out of five star and so on. Um, So in terms of the, to get a guaranteed uh, legendary gem drop with five stars, you have to buy 
um, sorry, not five stars, any star, you have to buy a legendary crest. And I'm just looking at my notes of how much, I think 100, yeah, $100 can buy you 45 legendary crests. Just so you get an idea, the higher star ratings that can drop. So for example, a five out of star, it's one in 500 crests. So you can start seeing the money adding up. And then once you get, when you finally manage to roll a legendary gem, you can upgrade it. And to upgrade it into the higher levels, you need duplicates. So if you have a five-star gem, you're going to then need to roll more five-star gems to then fuse them and upgrade um, your master gem. And if you thought it ended here, it does not. So once you fully upgrade a legendary gem, <laughs> you then get into, I think it's called resonance, where then you need to get specific gems to infuse into that master gem. And that gives you even more powers. And the higher the star rating that you infuse it with, the more buffs you get for your character. And now you think, oh, now it's over. Now the spend death has over, but it's not over. So when you create another character, your gear isn't shared between characters. You can change your character class, but if you decide to create a completely different character, you then have to start this all over again. So if you're talking about a 500K investment, you then have to do it again on another character. After that intro, can anyone highlight why this might be a problem? <laughs> I, I got some, no, I want to start with some higher level questions to make sure that I understand because there's a lot of detail there and I read the articles, watched that YouTube video, at least some of it. One important thing for me to know is those things that cost a lot of money, are they necessary to win, to play the game or are they optional? Because I feel very differently about something that you need to use to play the game versus something that uh, just has some cosmetic effect or makes the game a bit easier. So those legendary items that to achieve uh, cost a lot of money, are they, how integral are they to playing the game? The game has a, an important PvP component. And that's where the majority of the concerns are coming from, from the investigation that I did. Because... If you're going to be pitted PvP with players who are able to spend this enormous amount of money in a, a short span of time, then you're going to be crushed. Not based on skill, but purely based on how much someone spent. Right. And, and just to be clear, those legendary items that cost you all the money, they're not just cosmetic. They have functional improvement in the game. Sorry, these are the gems. So you can farm by grinding the legendary items, but then you can make them even more powerful by acquiring, oh, sorry, yeah, rolling the gems and upgrading them and doing the resonance. Yes, you get buffs to your character's power by doing so. Okay, okay, I got it. Aaron, what do you think? Well, I've played the game for about, I don't know, maybe like four hours so far, and... Uh, I have not felt a, a need to spend a single cent yet. So from an early game standpoint, um, it's it's just classic fun Diablo. Like um, the controls work really well. The environment's great. The narrative's great. And I'm just still chilling. And I'm sort of, I don't know at what point the, like you start to feel like you need to spend to like become more competitive, but I haven't felt that yet. Um, so I mean, I think it's a really, really great game 
so far. And my my hunch is this story. I mean, the stats around like what you need to spend to max out a character, like that's pretty insane. My my thought is that like the story is maybe a little, you know, bit blown out of proportion from the standpoint that like we just have to remember that like the the same players and news outlets who are bashing this this practice are the same ones who like hated when Diablo Immortal was announced in the first place. And so you get a lot of like that the the echo chamber from the just like that core PC audience that is making things louder. But but yeah, having to spend insane amounts of money to be competitive and PvP that feels a little off. I guess the question I would just throw back out is like putting it into the context of like other mobile games that like pay to win isn't isn't new i I guess it's just a question of like how far do you take it and so i I would the question i would just ask back is like compared to other pay to win oriented games like where does this like stack up (laughs) against those well it's the biggest number i've ever heard five hundred thousand dollars to max out a character if i understood that correctly but as to, you know, question would be how important is it to do that in the game? And from what you said, Aaron, it, in, in your experience, albeit of only of the first five hours, it wasn't important at all. Yeah, so no, I don't know. The, the end game of Diablo, so Diablo has the reputation that the fun, the fun starts when you reach the end of the campaign. So maybe Aaron you just haven't got far enough to to feel the the impacts of it and i agree i've i've just been enjoying it and having a lot of fun yeah it's certainly it's probably true that there's a group of people that love diablo on pc that always hated the idea of mobile diablo that were just waiting to do this piece of mess <laughs> i expect they did that before playing the game to make a point there's certainly an audience that doesn't like anything about this, right? I, I would just add, look, I mean, it's that it sounds ridiculous amount of money. I mean, it's almost it's a it's ridiculous at the level of like it's obscene. However, you know, people are people are <laughs> sovereign individuals. No one is forcing anyone to purchase anything. Um, you know, they they created a certain mechanics of of a pay to win, and if there are certain class of users who are even remotely open or considering spending not even 500,000, like 50,000, right? I mean, hey, like, you know, people can vote with their feet and they can either do it or they, they don't. Um, um, obviously, the tactic is questionable, but to Aaron's point, nothing new under the sun. These type of mechanics have been around for eons. Uh, maybe no one has ever taken that to that scale of a spend, uh, but the, the principle is, is, is pretty much the same. Um, and so, you know, and haters will always be haters. Uh, they may not have been, they may not even be haters because of the amount of money. They may be haters just because, you know, Diablo is not only on PC now. Um, but, you know, I, I choose to believe that, you know, people can decide how they want to play a game. Aaron seems to be among those who haven't spent anything yet. Um, but to Maria point, maybe to be more competitive, he will. Um, and I think people get to choose how they want to play games. And if they, if they don't like it, don't play the game. There is enough great games out there. Mm, good point. I think it's, yeah, it is a good, a good game. And it's Diablo. 
you know, you want to play it because you've played the less pay to win versions and you had a lot of fun doing it. And it's a good game when you play it. It's really fun. For me, there are things, there are some things yeah. that make me feel like this isn't business as usual as we have in free to play. And the first one is that it's not, it is a free to play game, but it reaches a point where it doesn't feel very free to play because you can you can only earn one of these legendary crests to get the gem once per month. I want to go to Mars on Elon Elon Musk rockets, but it cost me fifty million dollars, which I don't have, and so I choose an alternative, and I either take a regular airplane to enjoy the sky, or I just watch it on TV. And I think there's always other alternatives, and if people want to spend the money to play Diablo Immortals, great. Probably a lot of people are not going to do that, and they'll choose other things. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you, on which is that um, some people like spending, what's Diablo ordinarily, $60, $70 or something? The last one wasn't free to play, was it? No. Was it, Aaron? You know. No, right. So this is a, an opportunity to play Diablo on your mobile in a free-to-play business model. Uh, made by NetEase, probably more directed toward the East. Uh, and even though it's a fun game, it doesn't have to be for everybody. Some people like playing, you know, the the East is a lot more comfortable with the play-to-win, sorry, pay-to-win mechanic anyway. So I think that maybe expecting every game to be suitable for every audience is uh, unnecessary. But, but nonetheless, I suppose that... Um, did a group of Diablo players consider it their their game, and it doesn't feel good, perhaps, for uh, a game in within their franchise to be made for a different set of people? Maybe that's what people are reacting to. But yeah, I'm with you, Jon. It seems like a lot of money, but if people want to spend that, then ultimately that's up to yeah. them. Yeah, right? and I guess I would just add to you that if it did have an impact on people playing the game, and you you start to see like that impact felt in retention and things like that, they can change it. Like, they're definitely being greedy to start, but I don't think there's an iron law that this is the exact way it'll always have to be. Um, and yeah, one of my bigger mm-hmm. questions, too, is just like, I'm just curious how like live ops in general will work with Diablo Immortal, because Diablo has never really like pursued that kind of strategy before, especially on mobile. And so like, what does it mean for this type of game and what it means for like a different for the economy and things like that. Like, is it, should it really just be catered around just like always leveling up your character for a, for a long, long time? Or will there be more nuance introduced that opens up new types of like monetization avenues and engagement avenues um, that, you know, could also help change the narrative. So yeah, I've just been curious about that. Curious if anyone has thoughts on where they could take it. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's very okay to just. Face. Is it? Is it a more Eastern game style? I haven't, I've downloaded. It, I haven't played it yet. Is it more of a Eastern game style? I mean, the fact that it has aggressive free to play monetization mechanics suggests that it is somewhat. But in terms of gameplay, well, I wouldn't say in terms of game gameplay wise, it's very Diablo. But it was um, developed or co-developed with NetEase who yeah. is a juggernaut in China and is very well known for the expertise in microtransactions. Mm. So I find that a lot, a lot of these games are expecting to find not even whales, but I think that one of the articles I read, they call it giga whales. 
<laughs> and they'll pay for the majority of the game development. Mm. And so as long as they manage to catch those those GigaWell players, then they have enough spend depth for for them to spend a lot of money on. And I sorry, think my internet here is not very good. I think they know exactly what they're doing. Sorry? Um, so uh, yeah. I wouldn't bet against them on this. As Aaron says, they'll probably end up adjusting it if they got some numbers wrong anyway, right? You get to do that with mobile. Easier to reduce prices than increase prices, right? Yeah, so, that's a good point. Uh, but if the game is great, that's the, the fundamental thing that is going to attract and retain people. Then yep. this, the, the economy, they can adjust on the go. I don't know, but this, you know, this comes from where does where, where do we draw the line as game developers in terms of morals and ethics, in terms of how much you build spend depth into a free-to-play microtransaction game? Uh, you know, it doesn't even show a droop a, a drop table for rolling these legendary gems. The 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 probabilities I presented are based on players who have purchased so many crests that they've been able to make out what the what the tables um, are. And so I thought those I, I thought don't those know, drop I rates, feel that at least some aren't they a legal requirement to list the drop I rates these be... days? I thought you had to list the drop rates. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. A lot of these rules know. are still very yeah, a lot of the rules are still pretty country dependent, I think. Um I so in in Novic Pro this week we took a look at um the uh, Norwegian Consumer Council's report on loot boxes, which is a very riveting topic, but it's apparently backed by by 18 <laughs> countries. So there's there's some traction to it. Um, but you know, if you dig into the complaints, um, they're actually more general to the free to play business model than just loot boxes. And so, like, you know, complaining about things like aggressive marketing, virtual currencies abstracting the real world cost of items, etc. And then it makes, you know, just like overly broad proposals on how to fix things. And so my guess is that um, some regulation might be good, you know, in terms around just like making sure there is transparency so consumers can make educated and fair decisions. And, you know, like, you know, I'm supportive of like, you know, protection clauses around like minors and things like that when it makes sense too. Um, but um yeah, my guess is that uh, maybe it's unsurprising, but a lot of the regulators, one, are probably just going to whiff whatever the the regulations become, just similar to how like GDPR and I guess more recently, what was it called? Like the Digital Markets Act in Europe. They actually look to be like pretty net negative in their execution, despite their attempt to like do something positive. And so my feeling is like we might see something similar in mobile games at some point. It might not be important enough to escalate up to like the eu or something and it might just be more country specific but that in and of itself also like can get really annoying <laughs> and how if different countries are making their own rules like one that just like it makes it really hard for smaller developers to put resources into like adapting for country by country but even for big publishers too it sometimes it it might not be worth it so yeah i mean i think from an ethics standpoint like you can you can try whatever makes sense as long as the consumer is willing to accept it you just have to make sure that like we live in a environment where it's fair and transparent and the right people are protected i just don't know <laughs> the odds of that actually being enforced by governments consistently is going to be 
Mm. And I suppose this game wasn't isn't available in Belgium and another yeah. country because of the loot box law. That's what right? they say. Yeah. I don't really know yeah, what the know. real reasoning is. And if I know kids, they'll be able to they'll be getting around that right now. I'm sure there's people finding other ways getting the games from a different app store, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if you look at the the drop rate, zero point zero five percent for one of these five out of five stars, which then you need duplicates. If you look at other free to play games, that is a tiny drop drop rate. Um, even more so when you need multiples of them. And they don't sell other crests where they're more expensive and have a higher uh, probability of dropping. That could be something that they improve in terms of monetization of the game. Mm. We'll see. Um, because I dropped off due to my internet, I don't know how we're doing in terms of runtime. So someone will have to <laughs> help guide me. I feel yeah. we need to move on I, to I the can last move topic. On. Um, so let's talk about Apex Legends. Okay mobile um so apex legends which is my favorite battle royale game by the way uh they've never been a, a first mover even on console or pc but it's always um uh, found itself a market because the gameplay is smooth it's great you know the champion abilities provide strong differentiation from the other types of battle royale games that are out there and respawn has done a pretty good job with live ops on um console pc too and i see a lot of those uh, same patterns existing with apex legends mobile it's pretty slick it's quite authentic to the original game in terms of gameplay so just having the same champion so i figured we should talk about the game um the launch and uh what makes sense to pay attention to going forward for a game like this but i guess to, to kick it off has anyone else played this game anyone having fun with it no, I downloaded it when you pointed out that it was out, and uh, but was going to play it this evening. How is it? You've been yeah, playing I've it, been you know? I've been playing it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I actually played a couple uh, rounds with Manu yesterday, and we died really fast both times. So it was a pretty bad first impression on both sides for us. Um, um, but you know, despite of that, I mean, I am having a great time. I really do appreciate how authentic it is to the original game i like that the champions and the abilities are the same except there's one that is exclusive to mobile i believe which is kind of cool um the the weapons are the same the revive mechanics are the same and the map works really similarly too um but i also think they did a they did a good job for what i've played so far um in the areas that work well more specifically for mobile so for example they let you trigger between like a first and third person view which third person you know, typically plays better on mobile, whereas the default is first person on console PC. Um, the onboarding difficulty curve is quite friendly, similar to how Call of Duty Mobile was. And I think that does a good job of retaining players through like a early onboarding experience. Um, it's easier to unlock new champions in the mobile game compared to the base game. Um, and they also added a permanent deathmatch mode, which has appeared in the kind of the base console game as like a limited time event, I think, in the past. But it makes a lot of sense to offer more of those like bite size modes on mobile. And so kind of moving Apex more in that direction, a bit more similar to like what I guess like a Call of Duty, like the traditional modes with like Call of Duty would be. But creating the, the Apex versions of that to get those bite-sized gameplay chunks in. Um, 
Um, and yeah, they also added like a skill tree of sorts for champions, which is kind of new. Not sure how I think about that yet. Um, but in general, I think it's been a pretty, a pretty fun game. And in some ways it feels very much like a port, but in other ways it feels very much like a lot of the mechanics around like objectives and leveling up characters with all your progress bars and things like it has been very, uh, you know, free to play modified for mobile as well but it's been a it's been a good time so far <laughs> have you played the game maria uh not yet i was playing diablo immortal <laughs> but i played i used to play apex legends on on console how about you yon you played it no i haven't played it oh then we, it sounds like we need a session at some point yeah i guess walk us through it uh, i thought it was <laughs> Uh, interesting. So uh, by omission, I guess it's not aggressive with microtransactions in, in comparison, right? We're not talking about it. Nobody's done that math. <laughs> no, on I don't think so. But I was looking at the um, some of the, the launch data. Um, so in the, the first week, according to Sensor Tower, the game got about five and a half million downloads, um, has about 10 million total downloads so far. Um, um, you know, and the downloads have fallen off pretty fast, pretty predictably. Um, but it was a good launch, but I thought it was interesting. Then I'll talk some of more about the revenue side in a second. Is that um, just to put things in comparison, PUBG Mobile, I think, had 11 million downloads at its launch. And Call of Duty Mobile had 48 million downloads at, at its launch. And Apex was never was never going Whoa. to compete with that. Like, those are, like that COD <laughs> number is insane. Um, but, you know, it still will need to compete in future downloads if it hopes to carve out market share for itself. And I think it has a chance of doing that similar to console PC, but, um, you know, PUBG, Call of Duty Mobile, they get about one and a half million downloads per month or so each. And so Apex will have to figure out how to get more in that zone as well um, to, to really stay competitive. Um, but on the, the revenue side, it's obviously super early. According to Sensor Tower, They've only made about six, seven million so far, which is a revenue per download RPD of fifty-eight cents. That's not that's not awesome, um, but it actually is a bit better than where Call of Duty Mobile was in its first month. Um, and when Call of Duty Mobile came out, I think um, I think it was Adam Telfer who wrote a, a great post about it at the time on on Deconstructor of Fun. It hadn't really figured out its like monetization optimization yet especially around cosmetics um which is you know a huge part of the monetization in these games because you know you can't really create a pay to win element and like a battle royale game super you know easily and expected to you know remain popular all over the place so it's you know it's not unprecedented where they're at so far but apart from you know staying competitive and downloads and obviously retention which is too early to judge um, you know, I'd just be watching to see if that RPD curve can generally match what some of the earlier movers were able to um, achieve. So, yeah, those are kind of my my quick early thoughts on, I guess, both the gameplay and just the early metrics so far. But I, I am curious just to throw this out to all of you. When, when measuring the success of a game like this, what other elements or metrics would you, you know, keep a close eye out on well in terms of uh, mobile free to play then d1 uh, session time on day one and uh, uh, session time on d0 and then percentage d1 d7 d30 uh, Arpdale, all of those 
usual metrics, I suppose. I'd never heard of that RPD. I guess that's a, a number that will increase over time, right? What, what's your window there? RPD over uh, one yeah, week just or since, what? Since launch, because, uh, you know, I couldn't really, it's still too early to get a good, like, average revenue per download number over like any reasonable period of time. So yeah, I was just kind of watching the curve just to see how like the initial monetization per download was comparing to the other, just the other games in the genre kind of over their similar time frames. Well, and another one would be right. CPI. I mean, that's a, it'd be interesting to know how much they're paying for those downloads. And probably the initial spike is by people waiting for that game. So there's like an ongoing question as to how, um, what the CPIs look like. I had another, I had a question for you, Aaron, which was why, why did Call of Duty do 10 times what Apex did in its first week? Why, why is that not I mean, so Call big? of Duty is just like, you know, one of the biggest brands and like all of gaming that already had an enormous audience. And I think they, they did put quite a bit of, marketing budget into the launch of that game if i remember correctly and so they just went all in on making sure that the game got as big of an audience as quickly as possible um that is just really hard for like most anyone else to to match doing that i'd also be interested in understanding how having a mobile version of the game is affecting player behavior I assume it has um, cross-save. Um, I don't know because it's not it's not the same game as on as so it's not you don't oh. really cross-play. It's its own version. Um, it has a lot of similarities, but yeah, similar to how like Call of Duty Mobile, like yeah, it has its own modes and stuff. Like it's built specifically for for mobile, unlike unlike Fortnite, which is cross-play. Yeah, this one is built specifically. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. So if you've progressed in your console version and acquired cool skins, you I can't don't bring think them so. over. I think this mm. is less of a play to get yeah. like the same audience playing in more places and more of an attempt to just build the audience out further and like attack a new mm, yeah, I a agree. new demographic yeah. of sorts. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of the pros and cons of going with a a cross platform game versus you know having a dedicated experience when you have a dedicated experience you can attract different type of users different type of audience right mobile core mobile gamers are not core pc gamers in terms of what they look for um however and then on the other side with crossplay and what fortnite has done you get to save everything but then you're you're really still tapping to a core demographics that uh, probably wants to play that exactly same game modes and so on and so forth. And so I think it's a strategic choice of what these brands are doing with, with, their, with their franchises. I don't think there is, it's a, it's, it's, in my mind, it's less of a good or bad decision. It's more around what is the angle, what's like the measure of success? Is it about diversifying the user base? Then having a dedicated version of a game for each platform makes sense. Is it about having a loyal community that just goes across with you in cross-play and enabling that cross-play experience is your priority, then the Fortnite approach makes more sense. I expect we're going to keep seeing different modalities for different brands. My guess is it is still more financial driven than anything. Like I know Apex Legends, the, the console version, um, like it's always had like a very 
very tiny percentage of its audience contribute the vast majority of its revenue, which is, you know, pretty typical for like a free to play game in general. Um, but by being able, like if you were to port that over to mobile, it probably wouldn't perform as well as if like you could modify the free to play design and economy around more like mobile best practices. And so, yeah, if they were to port it, you would get the light advantage of being able to play with other people. Although like, you know, still not, not maybe the fairest gameplay. Um, but yeah, I think the level of success they'll see on like a, you know, revenue per install type of basis is just going to be a lot better by building specifically for mobile than, than otherwise. I thought it was interesting that it was built by Respawn and Lightspeed. Yeah. Is that who it is? So I must admit, I didn't know who Tencent. Lightspeed was, but in digging around on their website, they mm-hmm. made PUBG Mobile. So I think a lot of that, the, the uh, experience of making a great mobile game in PUBG Mobile has uh, been used to make this a solid game. So I, I know a lot of it, it's hard to know how much of it came from Respawn and how much came from Lightspeed, but... Uh, I'd imagine a lot of things that they've learned in building PUBG Mobile. Yeah, Tencent is the real winner because, yeah, that studio is building Apex. They built PUBG. Also, I'm blanking on the name of the studio, but they also built (laughs) Call of Duty Mobile too. Um, So, yeah, they're kind of behind all, except for Free Fire, I guess, all of like the, the major hits here, which is pretty crazy. Oh, really? They did. Uh, I didn't know they did Call of Duty yeah, Mobile as well. So. Wow, that's uh, isn't that strange that these big uh, behemoths are being built alongside each other to some degree. Yes, um, but yeah, I don't have I guess too much <laughs> to talk about since either none of you have like really dug too deep into the game. Um, but I, I guess just like another more general question. Um, like, I'm not super deep into the economy yet. I'm also, you know, just the kind of player that cares approximately zero about cosmetics, which is a huge driver of these games. Um, but in terms of, like, what you know about other other games like this, like a Call of Duty Mobile, Free Fire, etc., um, like, how would you expect a game like this to improve its economy and monetization over time? Like, what are the, you know, the core things that it'll be looking at like new modes that it will could think about launching, et cetera. Like what are any best practices we've seen from others that Apex could learn from? Do you want to take that, Maria? Um, I haven't played it, so I might just repeat things that they already have. So apologies for that. Um, yeah, I expect a battle pass. They do. Do they have a battle pass, Aaron? I think it's a tiered one. Okay, good. Or maybe I'm so mixing squeezing that, up with that and Diablo, optimizing it yeah. in terms of the rewards and and the costs. I'd expect them. Sorry. Um, I'd expect them to be doing a lot of cross cross promos potentially um, with brands like we see in other games from this type doing very based on cosmetics, skins, other show off factors. From what I remember from Apex Legends on console, they allow you to really customize your appearance. When you drop into the matchmaking um, to your team, you can customize the badges that you're showing and building out your your persona. I wouldn't expect them to sell power to players because it's, um, it's a battle royale, like you've mentioned. 
and yeah, lots of lots of live ops. So always giving players a new reason to buy something fresh that then goes away. And so you want to buy it when it when it goes live. Yeah, there will be dashboards upon dashboards upon dashboards of yeah. uh, people looking at all the data points, carefully balancing, you know, if, if it's like the kind of free-to-play games that uh, I've made in the past, then balancing pushy monetization against um, against retention and making sure that it's not pushing people away. It's hard to get that right, probably doing something. I'm sure they're doing things around segmentation as well. I mean, a little different, I guess, but if you're... If you're creating this kind of game because you need a level playing field, but yeah, they'll be trying uh, many things at once, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm sure they're doing a lot of A-B testing in terms of um, user funnels into when do you get the first starter offer popping? What is the starter offer? What are the contents and the price points of the starter offer? Also doing personalized offers based on player behavior, some other type of segmentation. So I, I agree, they will be they will be dashboards upon dashboards and optimizing and A-B testing the, um, the optimization of the monetization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's all good. I, the other thing I'm curious about too is, um, uh, you know, EA has kind of like a mixed record of, you know, launching and supporting mobile games. And I don't know all that goes on behind the scenes. You know, I've heard certain grumblings about, you know, some difficulties with glue, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I'm, I just kind of hope that they will be able to like build the right support structure, especially around like user acquisition um, for getting this game to the point where, you know, it can more sustainably reinvest into all of that testing to like improve and become more of like a revenue, more like sustainable, like meaningful revenue driver. Um, yeah, I mean, this is—is is it the biggest EA mobile game? I mean, uh, uh, probably not yet. I, I, I'd be surprised if they—I'm I'm sure they're pretty committed to this release. I mean, Apex Legends, obviously, an enormous IP, and this looks like a great implementation. So I think that—and uh, it's not dead on arrival. It seems great. So I'm sure they'll be sticking with it, won't they? I hope so. Yeah. How, how are we doing for time? Uh, we we're right at an hour, time? so I'll hand it over to you, Maria, if you want to wrap oh, okay. up with anything. <laughs> so I, I wanted to share a, a very, very quick story of someone I know who, who played Apex uh, Mobile. And he is not a big Battle Royale player, so he actually would rely on a bit of a tutorial to understand how to how to play the game. And the tutorial is not very friendly for completely new players who are not um, used to the mechanics. Um, and at one point, he had to leave to go and take care of his cat. And so by the time he went back to the game, the bubble had squeezed and so he was outside just constantly dying and because he's playing with bots the bots kept trying to revive him and then he die and then he, they'd revive him and then he'd die so perhaps that's an optimization in terms of their fatui on improving the experience for players who are not accustomed to playing battle royales and have to look after their cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> or a money with his dog that's right <laughs> All right, well, yeah, we'll wrap up this episode. Lots of juicy, juicy discussions. Um, if you want to continue the conversation, join us on Avic's Discord. Aaron mentioned some articles in Avic Pro. We have a promo code in the show notes if you want to get a discount on your first payment. And you can subscribe to the free Navic newsletter to keep on top of all of the industry news. 
So thank you everyone for joining. Um, Jan, I hope your office will be okay soon and you can leave the, the bird migration jungle. <laughs> could be worse, <laughs> could be worse. That's true, yeah. And really excited to hear what's coming next for Super Social and Playman's Games. Thanks, we'll Brian. be keeping an eye on it. Excellent. And we'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.